0: Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona.
1: Well, we missed uh, everybody last week. Um, I was telling a couple of you guys it seems like it's been forever. (laughs) It's been weird. It always
0: feels like it.
1: The deeper we get into this... Uh, with Apostle Paul. Yeah. Um, The deeper we get into this, the more... I don't know if you guys feel this way, but the more apparent and the more convicted I get about the direction that we're going. And... Um, I posted something about counterfeit Christianity the other day that Megan's been expanding on, and uh, I don't know if all of you guys saw that, but and I can't remember exactly what the what this this quote was, but this guy was basically talking about how Satan is is and tell, he's too smart, and so basically um, he something he would do, a tactic he would do, would be to counterfeit Christianity. And so, um, in thinking about that, I had posted that and talked about how, as a family, we're not... Discernment is like a level of maturity, and it's the difference between, you know, distinguishing between good and bad is easy but distinguishing between something that's good and something that's true is where actual discernment comes into play. And um, the more we get into this, the, the it's like the more I can see it, the easier it is to see right? how much deception is out there. And I think that um, something to realize about a counterfeit, and Megan pointed this out, is it looks like the real thing, but it doesn't have any value. But another another aspect of that is that a purpose of a counterfeit is to be readily accepted in place of the genuine Mm -hmm. article. So when you think about counterfeit money, Mm -hmm. the reason why people create counterfeit money is because they know it will be readily accepted, and that's because of two reasons. One, the deception on one side and ignorance on the other side. You can you can have a purpose of deceiving somebody, but if that person is not ignorant to what you're doing, then it won't work, Yeah. right? So there's deception and there's also ignorance on the other side. And um, just, I've just really been thinking about that, how as a family we're called to be able to discern between things that are good, right? A lot of people, you know, I mean, you see it all over the place. We saw it with the false crown virus with every, you know, there's... There's these good things that you should do, but being able to discern, generally speaking, right, I'm not talking about a, a I'm not putting a blanket statement over everything, but <clears throat> being able to discern between things that look good and the truth, and, uh, you know, it also comes into play which you're, you're, what you're, you're united under as well, right, like being able to discern False unity or shallow unity, for the sake of what's true. Yeah. So, like I said, the more we get into this, and I and I want to continue with Paul tonight, and kind of talk about um, Paul's origin story, if you will. And we kind of we went into Acts nine uh, several weeks ago, talking about how you know most. Every commentary you look at, every article you read about Acts 9, every sermon you hear, it's about Paul's conversion, right, to presumably to Christianity. And one of the things that we talked about before that that I believe from the Scripture and going down this direction that we're going is that he wasn't converted. He was called, right? He was called to be a son of commandment. He wasn't converted to Christianity. Um We've been taught for decades and hundreds of years that uh, Paul is the father of Christianity right like he's the one that invented Christianity and but when you read this chapter there's nothing there's this is what amazes me is there's no there's no reference to about the road on the road to Damascus about him converting necessarily it's not like the scripture says he converted. Right? This is the language that, we, that we've that we been ingrained with that he converted on the road and that he converted to Christianity. And when you extrapolate that, that he's the father of Christianity and that he invented this. And that's why I was so bold as to say that he is um, being utilized by Christianity in a way that's not true to basically prop up Christianity itself. Right. And so... I want to I want to look at Acts chapter nine, and when I when I say his origin story, I'm talking about the origin of him being sent out as an apostle, not the origin of his life. Not you know obviously he had a whole life before this, um, but this is the origin of his apostleship. And so when we look at this, I believe that what Yahweh is highlighting in this is something that. I, I've never heard it before when you look at it this way, um, and I, I believe this is its critical and it's undeniable when you begin to break down the dynamics that are within Acts chapter 9, and you look at what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus, and then what Yeshua sent him into, and um, and it's pretty powerful. And, it, and this goes into the context of Paul in general that can help us when we start to engage the word ourselves or we're being confronted about, um, you know, different aspects of the deception regarding Apostle Paul or the misconceptions. Um, this context from Acts chapter 9 and his origin is going to help us to understand and to navigate those things. Um, So I'm just going to read through Acts chapter 9, and then we'll kind of go back through and and break down what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying. So um, it's Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. And I actually printed this off out of the complete Jewish Bible. Um, And then we'll look at Acts 22 after that, a couple verses in there. Uh, It says, verse 1, Meanwhile, Shaul, still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's Talmudim, went to the Kohen Haggadol and asked him for letters to the synagogues in uh, Damascus, authorizing him to arrest any people he might find, whether men or women who belong to the way, and bring them back to Jerusalem. So, actually I think I'll kind of break this down as we read through it, but it's it's important to understand context, right? Like every, every time you read about these things, you want to be simultaneously interpreting the context of what's happening. So when we take a step back and we look at what Paul was doing, what he was on his way to do was to basically arrest the Lord's Talmudim. So even in this scripture, the, the people that he was after were disciples of the Lord, which if if he was after people that are being identified as Talmudim, as disciples, that means that there's also something about them that you can assume because of who they're being discipled by. Okay? So, he's still breathing murderous threats. He gets basically arrest warrants from a chief priest to go into the synagogues in in Damascus and arrest men and women who were followers of the way. Okay? So, we know that the people he was after were Jewish, they're in synagogues and they're Jewish followers of the way, which means they're they're Jewish and they're followers of Yeshua. Okay. And he was going to bring them back to Jerusalem. Verse three says he was on the road and nearing Damascus when suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, "Shaul, Shaul, why do you keep persecuting me?" He said, "Sir, who are you?" He asked. "I am Yeshua, and you are persecuting me. But get up and go into the city." And you will be told what you have to do. So, I mean, up until this point, like n- none of this has anything to do with conversion. I-, I mean, I've I've actually tried to study like where where is the root of this conversion narrative? Like, what's the what are people looking at to say, oh, he was converted, right? Like, I'm not sure the what the genesis of that is, but. So you have Yeshua basically speaking to him, basically apprehending Saul and saying, Why are you persecuting me? Verse seven says, The men traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. They helped Shaul get up off the ground, but when he opens his eyes, he could see nothing. So we all know this, right? He was blinded, he you know, he fell off his horse, or you know, we've heard about this. Now what's important to recognize in the big picture is that we have to, remember when I was talking about blessings and curses in the house of God and how there's there's the dynamic of blessing blessing and curses, and curses are a mechanism for you to restore right relationship with the Father. If you look at Deuteronomy 28, one of the curses mentioned, there's a lot of them, but one of them is being blinded. Okay? So I want us to think about this origin story of Apostle Paul all goes back to to Acts chapter 9 and what happened on the road to Damascus, right? But I want us to think about it in terms of a son being restored to right relationship with the father through the mechanism of a curse. So Yeshua cursed him on the road to Damascus by blinding him. Then he sends him into Damascus and tells him what to do. Uh, says for three days he remained unable to see and neither ate nor drank. So verse ten said, There was a Ptolemy, there was a disciple in Damascus. Uh, common translations say Ananias. Uh, in this it says Hananiah, which is which is kind of interesting. It was a common name. Is uh, Hananiah or Ananias basically means God's grace. So Yeshua cursed him Right, as a means to restore him to to a proper place, and then he immediately sends him to interact with somebody who represents God's grace. Right. So up until this point, we have this whole dynamic of <coughs> Yahweh's grace and operation, and part of his grace is curse, is a curse. Okay. I know a lot of people, you know, kind of it's it's kind of counterintuitive. But scripturally, yeah. it's the Father's grace yeah. to allow you to be cursed yeah. so that you can be restored to right relationship. So, so in verse 10, he sends him to a disciple in Damascus, and his name is Ananias, and he says, In in a vision the Lord said to him, Hananiah, he said, Here I am, Lord. He responded, The Lord said to him, Get up and go to Straight Street to Yehuda's house. Okay? Now this like and I actually I actually listened, I purposely listened to a bunch of sermons. I just looked up Saul's Conversion and I listened to like five sermons and everybody just passes he does over it every night. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. He listens to pastor sermons People pass day. over this, but he's He's sending him to a man who represents his grace, and the place that he told him to go was to Straight Street, to Yehuda's house. Now, when you look up Straight Street, like I was, I always picture like a street sign that just says Straight Street. <laughs> it's,
0: just, it's just,
1: funny, you know? Like why, why is this included, right? We know these things mean something, and a, so the street, when you look up the 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 meaning of this word. It's basically a narrow place with walls on both sides. So when he sent he's sending him to a narrow place. And when you talk about straight, obviously there's a there's a there's a clear interpretation of it being a, a you know straight rather than crooked. But the deeper meaning of that is it's a place of immediacy. It's a place of, of an immediate alignment so he's telling him to go to a narrow road where he's going to be immediately aligned with his original trajectory so straight street also has the implication that once you're on it it's going to take you in a direction so Yeshua is sending him to a person who represents his grace he's sending him down a narrow road with walls on either side and he's basically saying that there's going to be something immediate that takes place when you get to that place. Okay? And it's going to put you on the proper trajectory that Yeshua had for Saul before he was even born. Okay? So you can see how there's he was called on the road to Damascus. But what Yeshua is doing is he's essentially restoring him to his proper original intent. We talk about um, going back to the original intent a lot, and I've had this conversation with a few people, I think, but when we talk about going back to the original intent, we're not talking about restoring your original intent. We're not talking about you going back to where you came from, right? There's a difference between where you came from versus where he called you to come from, if that makes sense. His original intent for you is not your own original intent. Right. It's not your own original, um, your origin or your original purpose. And so by Yeshua sending him here, he called him on the road to Damascus and he basically sent him into a commissioning. None of this was a conversion. He called him and he commissioned him. And so I want to look at Ananias as the one who commissioned Paul because when we look at Apostle Paul, he was sent by definition, right? He's an apostle. He was sent. He was called by Yeshua, but he was sent by Hananiah. So in order to know what kind of apostle he was going to be and what his assignment was, because we know what apostle means, then we need to know who sent him to know what his assignment was going to be. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And like I said, I listen to all these sermons and it's all about his conversion and his eyes were opened and he's, you know, birthed Christianity and, you know, all this stuff. And I I just want to sidestep all of that. I want to sidestep all of that. So, so So the Lord at the same time is giving Saul the directions on where to go. Go to Straight Street. You're going to meet this man, Hananiah or Ananias, and he's going to lay hands on you and you're going to regain your sight. At the same time, Yeshua is talking to Hananiah and telling him, "Go to Straight Street to Yehuda's house, and you're going to see a man, Saul of Tarsus, and you're going to lay hands on him and regain his sight." And he's in, you know, uh, he's basically saying, "Like, are you sure this is the guy that's been killing us? Yeah. Like, this is the guy that's been seeking to arrest us and kill us because we're followers of the Way, and you want you want me to go meet with this guy?" Right? The other interesting thing is the place that he was to be commissioned was in Yehuda's house. In in the um, in the English Standard Version it says Judas Judas's house. It doesn't say Judah. That always confused me, but when you look at the complete Jewish Bible it says go to straight street to Yehuda's house. So you have an he's going to a narrow place to immediately be aligned to his original intended trajectory, okay? And he's he's being he's he's being commissioned in the house of Judah, in Yehuda's house. Now let me remind you, when we talk about the the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin and Levi were in the southern kingdom. They remained in the father's house. Okay, when there was a divorce and a split in amongst the kingdom, 10 of the tribes went north and divorced themselves from Yahweh, right? And the tribes of Benjamin, Yehuda, and some Levites remained in the father's house. Now, that's important because we're talking about, you know, keeping the, the backdrop of this whole thing is blessings and curses, right? So when we think about Apostle Paul and his origin story, it's taking place within the context of an Old Testament paradigm of restoring sons to the father's house. Okay? Now, just, just with that alone should give you confidence when somebody tries to take Paul as an instrument to detach Christianity from the Old Testament and the Law and the Prophets. Right? Because part of the part of the Torah is Deuteronomy and the blessings and curses system. Right? But we have Apostle Paul, his origin, his birth as an apostle is taking place within the context of an Old Testament Torah paradigm. Okay, So he further instructs Hananiah that you're going to ask for a man from Tarsus named Shaul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Hananiah coming in and placing his hands on him to restore his sight. When you talk about restoring his sight, he wasn't just opening his eyes, he was he was resetting his focus so not only is Saul being realigned immediately he's being put in a narrow place he's re his his focus his whole life's focus is being reset when he goes to this place and this man prays for him another thing i was going to say about this this just kind of just for us to take a step back and think about is that he was he was in the Saul was in the middle of his life. he was very accomplished he was raised up in a way that was um, for his time in his society he had the best of everything He had the best teaching he had the best uh, rabbinical mentor he had the the best lawyer's <laughs> training right he was very accomplished he was very well known he was very powerful to the point to where he could get. High priest to give him arrest warrants, go to other countries, and and do what he wanted to do, right? So on the road to Damascus, if you can imagine, he was probably in his own mind fulfilling his destiny.
0: hmm Yeah. That's
1: good. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now what I want what I want us was, to realize. He
2: was doing the Lord's work. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. <laughs> he was
2: persecuting. He disciples. was
1: walking out an assignment according to his belief. for what God would have wanted and he was in a sense you could say fulfilling his destiny okay but the destiny that Yahweh had for him disrupted all of that so when like when I think about where we are as a family okay we can be we can be walking out what we believe Under a system of counterfeit Christianity, we can be walking out what we feel is doing the Lord's work, thinking that we're walking out our destiny, fulfilling our destiny, when really Yeshua says, no, this is the destiny I have for you. And it can completely disrupt, flip upside down, change his entire life. So be encouraged because when, when we're walking through this process and we feel like, this, whatever craziness that kingdom heirs and that mom and dad or Tanya and Justin or what, whatever craziness you guys are talking that I can't wrap my head around, <laughs> it is disrupting everything I've ever known. Oh, yeah. so <laughs> Because Yahweh said, I'm going to take you to a narrow place and there's going to be an immediate alignment and a trajectory change because the destiny that I have for you.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Right? Yeah. We're talking about Apostle Paul, the supposed father of Christianity.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's good. To, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. <laughs> like, he, here we are complaining about being disrupted, mm-hmm. right? Because we know we were on a trajectory and we got really good at being on that path, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We became professionals. hmm Professional Christian churchgoers, right? Yes, professional uh, prophesiers, professional layers on of hands or whatever. We became professionals, right? Thinking that we're fulfilling our assignment because we've been trained that way, right? And we will even point to this man to to justify it, okay? So he sent him to restore his sight. He was going to reset his focus. It says in uh, verse 13, Hananiah answered, Lord, many have told me about this man, how much harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And here he has a warrant from the head Kohanim to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the goyim. basically the Gentiles, even to their kings and to the sons of Israel as well. Verse 15 is important because Yahweh is basically saying, or Yeshua is basically saying that Hananiah, which represents his grace, has to go and do what he's being told because this man is, is his chosen instrument to carry his name. This verse goes to show that That Saul is being restored back to the Father's house because he's going to carry his name. Up until this point, he's not carrying the name of Yeshua. Okay? But this goes to show the Deuteronomy 28 dynamic of him being restored back to proper alignment in the Father's house. Right? He's (coughs) literally sending him to Yehuda's house so that he can continue to carry his name. For I myself will show him how much he will have to suffer on account of my name. Verse 17. So he left and went into the house. What's interesting is he just entered in. Right? Like he just entered into the house. Placing his hands on him, he said, Brother Shaul. This reminds me of um, the story of the prodigal son. Right? The prodigal son returns home and they get the robe and all that kind of stuff. And the way that you are to receive a prodigal son, you have Hananiah who says, here I am, Lord, when he calls on him. Right, And he tells him what he wants to do. You could tell he's terrified out of his mind because he knows who this guy is. He's notorious. Right. He says, here I am, Lord, and he goes. He says, go do this now. So he left, entered into the house that apparently he had a place to enter into. He didn't have to knock. He didn't have to be invited in. He didn't have to ask. He entered into the house, and he addresses Saul as brother. said, the Lord Yeshua, the one who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me. Now, this is where I, I want to like paint the picture in the, the ultimate context of this whole thing regarding <coughs> Apostle Paul. We know Paul's an apostle. We know he was sent. We know he was sent by Yeshua. We know he was called by Yeshua on the road to Damascus. Now is the time when when it comes to the commissioning. Okay? He says that Yeshua sent me so that you may see again. So Ananias, right, we only really hear about him in Acts chapter 9 and it's very brief and a lot of people just kind of skip over his role but essentially Ananias was the apostle that sent apostle Paul he he got a prophetic revelation he was literally sent by Yeshua on an assignment to literally change Paul's trajectory yeah. wow. now i want to jump to acts 22 verses 12 through 14 and I'm I'm going to read this out of the complete Jewish Bible as well Now this is kind of this it's kind of the same storyline in Acts 22 but these verses are important to know who Ananias is because like I said before in order to understand what Paul was about this is this becomes so simple As an apostle, right, your assignment is to go to a place and make that place look like where you came from. Okay? Now we know that the person that sent Paul was this man, Ananias. So in order to know what Paul's assignment is and what he's supposed to do, we need to know who this man is right here. Right? Because Ananias says, I was sent to launch you, to birth you into your apostleship to change your focus, to bring you to the narrow place, to commission you. Ananias commissioned Apostle Paul. Okay. In Acts 22, verse 12 through 14, it says, A man named Hananiah, an observant follower of the Torah.
2: (laughs) Now add to that, because when you were reading in Acts 9, it says that, Saul had murderous threats against the Lord's Talmudim. And Ananias is saying, but I'm one of those people, or else he wouldn't be afraid. So he's automatically described as a Talmudim, which is a disciple. Not, anyways, yeah. but just to add to that.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now a lot, a lot of uh, translations will say an observant or a devout follower of the law but we know that law doesn't always necessarily equate to torah right so when i that's why i went back to the complete jewish bible and this man ananias who was sent to send apostle paul says he was a devout follower of the torah who was highly regarded by the entire jewish community there right that's that is to me if we can, you can have scholarly debates. You can have people who've been studying the word for years. You can listen to sermon after sermon, after freaking sermon. That just it doesn't. These these things are not. It, it's the same. It's the it's like the same message being regurgitated, right? About his conversion and Christianity, and that's not even. It's not. I. I I can understand how people are kind of preaching that. I can understand that because I can understand the system that we've been called to step out of. I can see that within that system. But when you step out of that and you understand what an apostle is and you understand that Paul was called by Yeshua to go to a place, right? Yeshua sent Paul to that place to be commissioned by this man. And we need to understand who this man is. We, if you actually dig into to who Hananiah was, you find out that he actually instructed Paul after commissioning him. He instructed Paul in Damascus. Like he became his teacher. And this man was an observant follower of the Torah and he was highly regarded in the community, which lets you understand why he could just enter into the house of Judah. Right? Yep. Do we know
0: what the house of Judah was? Like, was that someone's home, or was that, like,
1: meet? I don't know. I don't know, but it's kind of like, and I, I would look into that, like, literally, whose house was it, right? That's one layer. But then, you know, just like straight street, or what does straight mean? You know, but there's also the layers of what is, what is the spiritual dynamic that's taking place. And so this is a big deal because we can now understand that when we talk about Paul's calling as an apostle to not only the Gentiles, but the house of Israel. You talk about that major calling and him writing two thirds of the New Testament and his impact on what we now know as Christianity, right? 2,000 years later. You, can, you have to reconcile this against where we came from and against just the prevalent teaching that Apostle Paul is the evidence of how we've been detached from the law and we no longer have to honor it. Right? You have to reconcile that, that as an apostle, by definition, he was sent from a place to a place to make it look like where he came from. But where he came from and the man who commissioned him and initially instructed him in his apostleship was an observant follower of the Torah, widely respected in the Jewish community. Right? And it was God's grace to utilize this man, this prophet, who was willing to be sent to face this guy who was notorious. It was through God's grace and through a mechanism of cursing Saul, to restore him to right relationship in the father's house on a narrow path to change his trajectory and his outcome, right? So not only are we talking about where did he come from and who sent him and what does that mean, we're also talking about the dynamic of this, this whole operation was taking place within the context of cursing and restoring him back to the father's house which doesn't make sense if you, if you utilize Apostle Paul to disconnect yourself from the Law and the Prophets, right? Because then Apostle Paul would never exist. You can't utilize him as evidence to disconnect from the Law and the Prophets because if you don't acknowledge that as valid, then, then Christianity as we know it and Apostle Paul as we know him wouldn't have even existed in the first place because he just would have continued down the road to Damascus, right, with no opportunity to be restored in right relationship or proper alignment. He would have just continued on his way and done what he was out to do, right, to murder followers of the way, right, which, by the way, is when when Apostle Paul is defending himself in court before King Agrippa, he acknowledges himself as a follower of the way, right? He's talking about, coming from these people who initially sent him, who initially instructed him, right? So there's, this this is so important for us to know because this is what I'm talking about with a lot of times people look at Apostle Paul in terms of things that are a dichotomy, good and bad, black and white, law, grace. Right, there's there's this dichotomy, but with Apostle Paul it's much more about discernment and being able to identify the distinctions between right, things that are that could be considered good and things that are true. Right? Like we have to operate in a way to be able to recognize and step out of a system of indoctrinal thought to realize that when we look at his origin story. Right? It's, like, it's like the Marvel movies, right? Like You might watch a Batman movie, but then they come out with the origin story and where they came from, and it brings a more complete picture. With Apostle Paul, we have to know that. This is the origin story. This wasn't a conversion story. This is the origin and, and basically the ground zero of his whole calling and who was behind it. Right? Yeshua didn't actually commission him. He just called him on the road and said, this is where I need you to go. Because I have a man that's going to commission you. I'm like, to (laughs) me this is just... I don't know if you guys are... are, Like to me, any argument you would have against Paul's apostleship, any argument that you would bring against the law and the prophets and the validity of the law or the Torah doesn't make any sense according to just these few verses. Yeah. 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 right? I mean, we can go into other verses later on about who Paul says he is and who he doesn't say he is and what he proclaims and that he's never violated the Torah and all, all that kind of stuff. But even talking about Yeshua being an apostle, being sent from heaven to earth to make earth look like heaven, Right? If, if you acknowledge somebody as an apostle, you have to then ask yourself who sent you, because your assignment is directly related to where you came from, right? Yeah. So if, if somebody's an apostle, just like Paul is, then we can identify that this was his commissioning, this was his origin, and the man that was called to commission him was a was a devout follower of Torah. Amen.
2: So I want to kind of like see if I can explain it just with maybe different words for it to settle, Um, because I can understand the word conversion, because he did have an alignment, right? So there is an aspect that he did, he was going down one path and essentially had to be corrected into another path, correct? The problem is, is that we read that through the lens 2,000 years later, that the only option was that he was a Jew and became a Christian. Yeah. What he's presenting is he was a Jew and -hmm. he became a follower of the way, which is now the Gentiles have access to the Torah that I was persecuting them for never being allowed to touch. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So it's not the concept of Christianity, but it is a concept of the scattered nations that he was called to. But what was he called to train them in? Not to not do what he had. His conversion was his own issue that he once thought that the Talmudim did not have, they were dirty, they were Gentiles, they were divorced, they left the house. He was not only sent by a follower of the Torah, but he was also trained in Juda- Judaism Torah and rabbinical law. So he, he already knew it. So for him to be sent in the very thing he knew was ascending that you are called to the nations that you say don't have access to this through Yeshua, that you are now to train them in this. So there was a conversion, but it was from Judaism to Gentiles having access to the Torah. How whatever name you want to call that. That's what we're getting to is what is that name. But it was not no longer a Jew and now Christianity yeah. means all things Jewish is bad. Yeah. It was does is that make is that making sense? Yeah. So there was a conversion or there was a in um a correction yeah. or a curse that brought him to the house because he went to the house of Judah. Well, he was already in the house of Judah. That's why I see he walked in. He was raised there, but he was being sent out of that house to allow other nations to be able to come into that house. Whereas he was persecuting that those people were never allowed to come into that house.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So there was a, an alignment for him, but it was an alignment from one thing to, to another. The problem is is that we've decided to define what that one thing was and what is that other thing. And what we're presenting and what he's revealing to us is that that other thing that he was aligned to is not what we know of today. It was to create more Talmudim, which is disciples of Yeshua, to be followers of the way who he, I mean, Yeshua is the Torah. So it doesn't... That's why he's saying that this is so simple. It doesn't make sense that Paul is the father of teaching people to not follow what he was sent to teach them to follow. His whole scroll. And when you read it through this lens, you'll begin to read what he was saying all the time. Which that's why he could say and be blameless. I've never broken. Because, he, because his whole... When you get to know Paul... He's no longer the one that says you don't need to do any of these things. He's the one that's saying you are supposed to be doing all of these things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, really yeah. I hope it doesn't muddy the water. <laughs> what? I said I hope it doesn't muddy the water. <laughs> I was just thinking that I think what that story reminded me of is that the Jews were always looking for a messiah Mm -hmm. and he didn't fit the bill. Mm -hmm. so that's part of the reason that Saul was persecuting them is because they believed that Yeshua was the Messiah and I think that was part of the awakening Mm -hmm. on the road to Damascus is that he was awakened that this really is the Messiah
2: yeah yeah for sure i mean that's the whole thing is we we Jew, jews essentially we believe the same thing they just don't think that it's happened yet so the big battle wasn't judaism versus christianity and it definitely wasn't the battle of keeping the law versus don't keeping the law that wasn't the issue it was the messiah was the problem and it was who is he and so when he basically fulfilled the prophet saying that i am the i am the king then ultimately it was an awakening for him to that's why he knew that his sending was that the Gentiles now have access because without the Messiah they didn't and that's why the Jews were persecuting because there was, there, there was no access point so when that conversion essentially happened it wasn't a conversion out of Judaism and into a new religion mm-hmm. it was the fulfillment of Judaism has happened. And so now the scattered nations can come into the house, but the, but the, but that, but the house that stayed in the house didn't want to acknowledge that that was there. So now 2000 years, it's just two houses still (laughs) Christianity versus Judaism. So just to kind of, you know, again, just kind of say it in a different way was that this alignment wasn't out of one thing and in another, but it was, being an apostle that the scattered nations have access now that our Messiah has come. But that did not change that because the Messiah has come, that the whole religion, throw the baby out with a bathwater, like, you know, that the whole religion is out and a new religion is here. The Messiah is the house of Judah. The Messiah is the, he's the fulfillment of that very religion. The only reason why there's a separation is because they don't acknowledge that he's the Messiah. But he is the fulfillment of that religion. So when yeah. Apostle Paul's getting sent out, he's there to teach that all have access, that it has been fulfilled, both Jew and Gentile. Now both need to be preached to. So he's persecuting the Talmudim. Now he's recognizing that the uh the the goim, the goim the the Gentiles have access and at the same time he's also going to be a voice for the house he came from because they don't they don't believe in his conversion, they don't believe in his access point if that makes sense. So he became a sent one for both houses to see truth. Mm-hmm. But he was the that's why he Paul is all things to all people. He was the greatest gap builder. Yeah. He was yeah. the, he's the, he's the two houses become one man. Yeah. That's like who he was. He yeah. was not, it it's doesn't make sense. Yeah, he, it. that's why he says I yeah. have a ministry of reconciliation right. because he was okay. stepping out and becoming a voice for both houses to catch what was going on because both needed to be corrected. You know, yeah. the house of Judah needed to see the Messiah had come and those that were following Uh, following the Messiah needed to learn the ways of the house that's why some of this stuff's not even in the Bible because his 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 uh, missionary groundwork was to not deal with Christians that wasn't an issue they wanted to learn the Torah They just didn't know how to do it Because they weren't raised in it And he had to go through and cut off No, that's not Torah No, that's rabbinical No, that's Judaism No, this is, this is being a follower of the way mm-hmm. So the issue is, is that he did convert But he converted from Judaism to being a follower of the way yeah. He did not convert from yeah. Judaism to Christianity And we are supposed to be followers of the way Not Christians against Judaism We're also not supposed to be Jews Because we believe that the Messiah has come That's why he's the father of our faith
3: yeah.
0: And
2: he's the he's the he's the point of of I mean that's why he wrote all the rest of it because he was the one that was sent out to do that
1: work. <laughs> Yahweh could have said, "Go to Straight Street and enter the house of Constantine."
0: Yeah. <laughs> right, like. Be yes. Please go submit to the <laughs>
1: <laughs> So does it make sense yeah. that? As we're walking this out, the level of discernment we have to have is actual discernment. It's not just being able to say, this is this, that's that. It's not.
2: I have have something else. so. So when you started, you said that Paul received a curse, which was ultimately a blessing to be restored into the father's house. Okay. This goes back to that box that was sent about good versus bad versus good. Blessing versus curse. Well, if it's the curse, it's from the devil. If it's the blessing, it's from Yahweh. Whereas Satan can totally bless, right? Mm -hmm. right? He tempted him with, I'll give you all of this. That would sound like a blessing to a lot of us if he said, you can have all this if you just do this, Mm -hmm. right? And then curses, like we've learned about the plagues, was pushing them into something. So anyway, so you've got that whole thing going on. But this is where good versus truth comes in, because Paul, essentially, what he came from was good. But he had a revelation of truth. And this is where we, Greek mindsets, will say, well, then where he came from must be bad, anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and what we're in is good. It's not bad for, it was, it. what he, that's why he's still a follower of the Torah. His foundation was good. Just like we would say, Yeshua's foundation was good. He was a Jew, good. right? Like yeah. we wouldn't say, "But were you? Where? Well, that well, that must mean your heritage is bad, and everything you stand for now is good." It's no, everything your heritage is is good, but you are truth. That's why he says, "I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life." So there's this aspect of us being able, to, as Hebrew thinkers, to be able to embrace this good versus bad versus what we. What was, could be, how did you say it? We became professional. There, there's this aspect of doing things for the Lord that were good, but now finding truth. And it's not this, it should not be a wrestling match of bad versus good, but more of, uh, I can't remember how you, I mean, it sounds like a curse. I can't remember how you said it, but you said, isn't it, isn't it interesting to have to wrestle through that the very thing that was good could be the greatest deception of my life? Okay, so think about Paul's life. That was good, and if he did not come to know the Messiah, it would be the greatest deception of his life. Jews, Judaism now, the greatest deception of their life is that the Messiah has not come. But it's good.
0: Right. You
2: know, does that make sense? So it's like it's not a well, that was all bad. And now this is good. But being able to be a Hebrew thinker to say what was good was also deception. Yeah. And can I wrestle through that? to get me to truth versus good versus bad or well then I guess all this was bad and I guess this is good or it's not that or curse versus blessing that's Greek mindset but to think whatever was good could also be the greatest deception if I don't step into truth whatever Paul had been raised in was good but then the Messiah stepped on the earth Judaism, I mean, I understand that there was fences and, you know, and all that kind of stuff in rabbinical law, but they were, their heart was to safeguard. I don't want anyone to break the Torah. So, so there's this aspect of, it was good until truth showed up. Yeah. Then you have to step into truth. Right. Well, it doesn't mean that that means this was bad, but it does mean something that was good was also deceptive.
0: Yeah. And that
2: deception essentially will also be the gateway to lead us to truth.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean in really some
2: of God. our stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. not like you just you're born into tr- I mean, you're not you're born into sin. You're not born into right. like yeah. I don't you know what I mean? You yeah. there's 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 this walk that brings you into truth. And so if we can kinda think about Paul as as somebody who fathered this and how to see his story from that lens versus looking at it from the lens of being a professional prophesier to now what am I? Mm-hmm. Like, that must be, you know, bad. And yeah. So now what? Right. That was good, right. but it was also deceptive. Yes. And so it's bringing me to a place of truth into what it is that he has for us.
0: Yeah. Because right? really when he, cause when the
2: Messiah, when transformation, when Yeshua steps on the scene, transformation happens, you step into truth. And if and if all of a sudden you're enlightened to a place of truth, then you have to recognize that what was before
3: right.
2: yeah. was not full truth. Yeah. We should not be scared of deception, but also on our face, grateful and thankful that in our time frame, in our lifespan, he's awakening us to coming out of that deception and not just being professional like Paul could have done. I know better. I've been raised in this. I have it. I have everything. So I'm not going to. I mean, he didn't have a choice, but you know what I mean? I'm not going to be blinded. I'm going to keep or or not listen to the prophecy that he, I'm not going to go to the house or be disobedient.
1: Yeah, so so what's good has the potential to rob you of what's true.
3: Yes. Yeah.
1: And I want us to kind of, I mean, I can see us in this story, not that we're murderous, right? I mean, there could be, well, Uh. (laughs) (laughs) meaning in terms of I could see our story on the road to Damascus because what he set out to do and what was essentially carrying him was no longer going to carry him anymore right what he thought was going to carry him all the way to a place was basically disrupted halfway yeah and It wasn't a deliverance. He wasn't delivered of anything. He was basically cursed, right, and sent to a narrow road. He was sent down a narrow path. And that's essentially what he's done to us, right? The destiny that he has for us has disrupted what we thought was great because what we thought was great wasn't, in his destiny, he didn't want us to continue in what we thought was great. And when he disrupted it, he immediately sent us down a narrow path to a place of proper alignment, to restoration to the Father's house, to, to essentially build, to be received as family, right, to be received as brethren, and essentially to multiply that as apostles, Right. Like, I mean, that's the story. That's what yeah. he has done with us. Yeah. 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 Right. And I take great encouragement that if any time I have struggled with this, that Paul was was widely known throughout Asia, Asia, like throughout several continents, everybody knew who he was because of how accomplished he was. Right. So I, I want to go to Philippians three and, and just point out another scripture that exemplifies this point that we're talking about, this dynamic of discernment versus a dichotomy type of situation that a lot of uh, modern Christian scholarship will will try to make the context about. It says in uh, Philippians 3, I'll start in uh, verse 4, Paul's talking about himself. He says, though I myself might have confidence in the flesh also, If anyone anyone else thinks he might depend on the flesh, I far more circumcise on the eighth day of the nation of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the Torah, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting Messiah's community, as for Torah righteousness found blameless. So he's basically giving his his, uh, credibility that if anybody could depend on their flesh, he could, because he was basically an expert right and he says in verse 7 but whatever things were gained to me so he's referring to all of that which you could you could you could summarize as his Jewishness okay he's saying but whatever things were gained to me all the things you just talked about these i have considered as loss for the sake of the messiah verse 8 more than that i consider all things to be loss in comparison to the surpassing value of the knowledge of messiah yeshua my lord because of him i had suffered I have suffered the loss of all these things, and I consider them garbage in order that I might gain Messiah and be found in him, not having my righteousness derived from Torah, but one that is through trusting in Messiah, the righteousness from God based on trust. So if you just read this on its face, he's referring to his Jewishness as garbage. Okay? Because of the context of who Paul was teaching to and because of the dynamics that mom just talked about and how there were so many... It was so complex, the dynamics and the type of places he was teaching and all the things he was speaking to, that he had to be extreme about what he was saying. A lot of times people will accuse us of like, oh, well, that's extreme what you said. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes... We're we're in the spirit, we're hitting something so ingrained right in the face, and we have to be extreme to shock you out of something that's just you can't see it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. Right? When Paul is talking about his Jewishness and his his resume of righteousness according to the flesh, he's referring to it as garbage because he wants to he wants to gain all of that through his trust in the Messiah. He's saying he wants all that through Messiah. Yeah. And he's saying that that is, that is so valuable to him that the good he experienced, right, him and his flesh, nobody could compare. The goodness that he had before is garbage compared to yeah. the truth yeah. of obtaining that through Yeshua. Yeah. Wow. But most people will read this and say, Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 calls his Jewishness garbage. Right, in that mindset that she's talking about, if it's black and white, it's an immature discernment to say, Well, it's either this or that. And even Paul said his Jewishness, his the Torah, the righteousness in the Torah, the his Hebrew lifestyle, him being a Pharisee, all that was garbage. Right? It's easy to just point to this and say, Look, he says it right here. Right? But if we have discernment as mature sons, then we can identify actually what he's saying. Right. Because where he was sent from, he wouldn't if he's an apostle sent by Ananias and we know who commissioned him and we know who he was, then he wouldn't refer to that as garbage. Right. But it's it's that good versus truth. Right. If if you think about it, would you rather have I mean, good is good might as well be garbage compared to the truth. If you don't have the truth, then you, it doesn't matter what you have. It's not the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So we can see what he's saying here. That was all garbage because it wasn't through Yeshua. Now, if we go back to Matthew 5, right, and what Yeshua said about his own purpose, he did not come to abolish, right? So what Paul is saying is, I want all of these things. Through Yeshua, through the Messiah, who is the perfect law of liberty, who showed us how to live like this, because it's written on our hearts. Obviously, Saul, when he talks about his his uh, his resume of Jewishness, that wasn't written on his heart, right? He was all about the letter of the law. That's garbage compared to it being written on your heart, right? It's not one or the other. It's not good or bad. It's not garbage and Christianity,
2: right? So another way of saying this conversion story would say that he left duty and shifted into devotion. Yeah. Because the only way to have devotion is to be able to see the Messiah. It's not possible. Before him, it was not possible to be able to have it written on the inside. That's why the prophets talk about the renewed covenant. It will be written on their heart. But until that was fulfilled, it's not possible. So everything prior to the Messiah was all trying to get it right. That's why we see, get it right, flood the earth. Get it right, you know know what I mean? Like, tower Babel, get it right. Like, it was just this constant until the Messiah was the final. Okay, so another way to say that's why he can say all of that was garbage because he's saying everything that I had was out of duty, And I was blinded and awakened to all of that being through Yeshua, meaning now it's on my heart. But when you read it 2,000 years later, you think it automatically has to be Jewish is garbage, Christianity is correct. But that's not even the context of what he's speaking to. The title of that paragraph is where is your confidence? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I know that when I raise my children there is a level of insecurity and not confident when it's in duty. If I tell them to behave and they're doing it out of a place of duty, I'm thankful that they're obedient, but I can see as the mother that they're not confident because they're just doing what I told them to do. At some point, my goal is to get them to a place to honor that obedience out of devotion because that is where their confidence comes Because then they're not like, where's mom? What do I do? They're not insecure of the training. They are trained, they are obedient, and they are confident, and they are convicted, and it's inside of them, and they're living out a lifestyle. That's confidence. That's what he's talking about. So that would be like us being babies in the faith and saying, well, all of that, when I was just doing what I was told to do, all of that was garbage compared to the Influx conviction of what I own and studied for myself and now it's mine That's what he's saying. there. not saying everything your parent told you right everything the father gave you is just garbage garbage. Now you just need his son Who's not attached to the father? Yeah, and he's teaching you a new thing, right? We've already broken that down like he's not saying that but he is saying that the concept of what he was living out was garbage and it then it's like it just makes sense that when you read it that way and it doesn't cause this schizophrenic issue within the Bible of what one day he's honoring it and the next day it's garbage you can see mm-hmm. it for its fullness and it's like when we talk anybody would say if we if we were to say something crazy somebody might be like so are you saying that your past was bad you know what I mean well yeah in that moment, do you know me like yeah. I there's a concept there's a context it's who yeah, I'm speaking yeah. to it's why I'm saying if I'm talking to somebody else I may not say it that way because that's not my heart yeah but if you just take what I say as face value then it's like you're just seeing one dimension mm-hmm. of what it is that he's saying
0: yeah I was looking
1: at you my <laughs> Yeah, if we, okay. if, if we think about what she's saying in the context of Paul being a son of commandment, right, the father's instruction is a safeguard and a tutor when you're mandated to do something. It's like we talk about actions precede beliefs all the time, right? You make your children do things that they don't understand the reason why, but somebody has to safeguard they're raising until they can get to the point where they believe it on their own. And they don't need you to be telling them what to do in order to walk that out. So so does it make sense that Paul would be raised and tutored by the Torah only to disregard it totally and to lead the entire Christian world to disregard it? It doesn't make any sense right it doesn't it doesn't when you think about it that way any of us who have children our whole goal in raising and teaching our children even with something like washing their hands is so that they will eventually when you die they will know how to keep their Hopefully hands clean <laughs> and it's not because mom told me to do it but it's because i understand why i do this now it's essentially written on their hearts and so it's the
0: principle versus the action
1: right and i think to me, this is the best way to help. Even if, right? We're not scholars. We're not, you know. You may, in some of us, have encountered pastors in the community, and they're already, you know, well, what they're already lining out their debate, right? They've got their the, well, what about this and this and this is why you're wrong and all this stuff, right? And maybe you're not a pastor. Maybe you're not a scholar, right? None of us are are that are those things, and so, but if you understand the heart behind. Apostle Paul and you can actually relate to him and understand who he is, who he's not, what is the what is the prevailing dynamic that's taking place about how he even came to his assignment in the first place. Right? If you know those things it's easier it's easier to, to navigate those things, which is a lot of purpose of this night season was one, exposure, right? That disruption because of yeah. what our destiny is, yeah. there's a disruption. Yeah that we need to understand what the deception is we need yeah. to be able to have the maturity to to identify counterfeits right if if we handed out a bunch of money half of it was real and half of it was counterfeit you guys would want to know how to be able to tell the difference right yeah. but for some reason man with like it becomes such a personal thing yeah. Yeah. because of what she said well if this is true if you're telling me this is the truth, that means that everything I went through was bad. Yeah. Right. Right? But if we're operating in a level of discernment that doesn't if if we're operating in a level of discernment I guess it
0: depends on your definition of bad. Yeah. Well, too, you
1: know. You could be Okay, in Paul's example on the road to Damascus, he didn't when he was disrupted by Yeshua's destiny for him he didn't complain about well then was all this
0: yeah
1: <laughs> yeah right he wasn't like well lord what are you saying like all all this training all this all these <laughs> degrees all this lawyer training all you know all this stuff you're trying to tell me that's bad like he didn't he didn't even go there because He understood that he was going from a place that was good to a place that was true. Like all that was was carried him into his actual purpose. We could we could eat when when destiny disrupts our what we have going on. (laughs) Right? Like I think I'm going to Damascus to do this. When Yeshua steps in and says, no, actually, you're, yeah. I'm sending you over here and yeah. you're going to do something totally different that you never understood. When you, <laughs> if you're bitter, if you're bitter about, well, okay, if I get stuck on my past, well, then what are you saying about it? Because it's either black or white and I get bitter about it, then I will never step into what he actually had purpose yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. If the destiny disrupts me and I'm like, thank you, Lord, this is the truth, what I had was garbage, right? Not really, but you're, yeah. he's he's comparing good right. to truth, right. right? If you understand that, then you'll actually step into your purpose. What I, what I think the danger is with this dynamic, when this dynamic happens, is you can be bitter and you can be stuck in this limbo of you won't – you won't go back. You can't. you'll be stuck in bitterness about yeah. your past. You won't yeah. go back to yeah. it and you also you won't go forward you can't into your purpose. Yeah. But then yeah. And that's the danger is like you have to be decisive. Yeah. Right? Like man, if there's an ounce of bitterness, like step off the fence mm-hmm. one side or the other. Yeah. Right? I personally I, I think no matter what side you step on, it's better than being stuck in the middle and being lukewarm. Yeah. I would personally rather just not be bitter and just embrace the purpose, yeah. right? And I think that's, to me, this just speaks volumes about where we're at. And when you talk about what we talked about a couple weeks ago about the beasts and, right? Did you guys see
0: your homework?
2: Did you guys read what the beast sounded like?
1: What does it sound like?
0: People didn't do it. Nobody did it. Well, some people did. Well,
1: whoever did it. What
0: it like.
2: <laughs> Don't ask.
1: Huh? Don't well, I'm ask. Totally well, sounds like Christianity. Yeah.
2: D, can I? I hope it's alright. If D, she.
0: She goes, it's okay. <laughs> Under
2: the bus. She goes, I don't know what is going on, but I read about the beast, and I don't know what's happening, but have you guys been saying that it's Christianity? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure it sounds to- like Christianity, and now I'm understanding why you said, it and everything's coming. What is happening? <laughs> she got all like, she read it for, her, I mean, she, she was like for a time and away for, and she was, she was just basically like. Just reading it, and you know, and she was like, Oh, so
0: can I
1: ask something about that? Mm-hmm. So then, Babylon, the whore who literally wrote the first, I always thought that that was Christianity, you know, then I reread this and I'm like, That's not really the case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where did she fall into this? World? What does she represent? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I. I think with that, when you read about that, it's more of the there's a prostitution aspect. There's a, there's.
2: <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to answer.
1: <laughs> but, you know what I was thinking? Of, what where my mind went was the professional aspect that you were just talking about. If you do something that should be intimate, but you do it for payment, you become a prostitute. And like, how many times have I done something? <laughs> you
0: know, trying to expect some kind of repayment as opposed to out of intimacy. Does that then
1: make you a prostitute? Yeah, probably. Yeah, for
0: gay.
1: Yeah. But that's, I mean, (laughs) I I wanted, we still have some time, so I I know that last week there was like some questions and a lot of discussion about duty to devotion, which, that was awesome how you connected all that. Yeah. uh, Well, uh,
2: yeah, and I think the other the other thing, well, I don't know how it necessarily connects with some of the questions, but I wanted to just make sure that I touched on about the um, the murderous threats, and he was saying, you know, maybe some of us did or didn't, and I just want us to like think about it in the yeah. spirit, yeah. because I want to go back to the bigger picture, because we talk about this all the time, that the, the world, we... Uh, his his people don't know him they don't know his character they don't know the intricacies of him they're confused by him yeah. they're um they've been given a very confusing god it's uh and 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 ultimately the only way i know how to say this is that the church at large is what is giving out the definition and it's become very confusing and very um, confusing but then also yes murderous because at the because at the end of the day the world is the one saying who is this who is who is this God right and 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 ultimately it's the the largest body of faith has turned into has ultimately turned into Christian Christianity I mean if you divide up all the different religions it'll be like you know Islam you know what I mean it's not even it's it's, it's like followers of the way are isn't even on there there is a remnant that is waking up absolutely but I'm just saying at the, the church at large is is handing over this definition that has made the world um, hurt <laughs> So again it's not I'm not talking about spe- like specifically but when we talk about his story and wanting to like breathing murderous threats that there's an aspect of what we've had to wrestle through because of the system that we're stepping out of is also having to reconcile the deception and truth you know what I mean and so that's why I said it depends on the definition of good and I think I talked about this on Vox where I was like, well, if parts of my story, it's great. Because if I didn't have my story, it wouldn't be here. So it's amazing. And then at the same time, depending on who I'm talking to and depending on what I'm talking about, it's freaking sucked. Yeah. There's a ton of murderous things that happened. And the culture was horrible. I wish I was more in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you got you got kind of both things going on. But when you think about that at large and we're not thinking about like personally, you have to look at it from – the world's perspective that there is this murderous thing that's out there that turns people away yeah. from his character yeah. to stop who he is and then even his own people will be deceived or confused or not know who he is so then how can you be a vessel to be able to express who he is if you're not even you know confident in who he is or knowing his character and so yeah. you know just thinking just thinking about like when you were talking about his story and about us, like we were those people because we were part of a system that was breathing murderous threats to tear down any, any, any tear down anything really to be able to be enlightened to the Messiah and knowing who he truly is. And so anyways, I was just wanting to add that. <laughs>
0: That's
1: mm-hmm. progressive. Well, if there was about those, you know, those issues, because I, I've, obviously we're talking about blessings and curses, and, um, you know, we know you guys were talking about the character of, of Yahweh and, and uh, duty and devotion. So I just didn't know if, you know, maybe that cleared it up or if there was any questions about that. We do, we have,
0: we have some time if we wanna. If there's any questions or... Okay, so he always tells you to do something, you, like, at first, do you, at first when you start doing it, like if he tells you to like learn the Hebrew letters and you start doing it out of, um, like, obedience, and then does it, like, out, will it turn, or like will it start to be out of, like, devotion? At some point, mm-hmm. you just
2: have to be consistent. Yeah, I mean, yes, it will, it will eventually turn into devotion, but it always starts with being obedient because you don't, how can you, how can you do something out of devotion if you don't have it inside of you? So typically actions precede beliefs where you're doing something out of action or, um, we'll just use that word, doing something out of action. And then eventually the like the light bulb goes off of the why, and it starts to become more and more in you, and then what you gain from it and what you experience then starts to come out of a place of devotion to where you're wanting to, and it's not so much coming from a place of consistency or checklist, but coming out of a place of just, it just starts to naturally happen.
0: But with Paul, when that happened on the road to Damascus, wasn't his, like, right then and there, it changed from duty to devotion? Or did he obey, obey, obey after talking with whatever that dude's name was? In the yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, I don't... I'm sure he had a process. I was just saying one way to look at that conversion story is him getting it within him, not a change... Out of it so like in Katie's example whether it's a process or immediate the thing is is that what she got devoted to is what she was doing she didn't get devoted to something completely opposite of what you know like oh what I was the Hebrew letters are bad so now I'm going to be devoted to something different I, I'm sure that there was definitely an immediate narrow path and also a process of having to walk out sending into something you know having to train multiple nations and
1: so I'm sure it was probably both well, I, th- I think in Paul's case, right, the the law was external to him all the way up to this point, and then through encountering Yeshua, it w- it actually internalized. So his actions was his whole life learning yeah. the law up to that point. So the the turning point was immediate, right, right. to where he went from the actions of the law. So she could study Hebrew for
2: 15 years, but then the the moment of devotion can be immediate, and then it's like, oh. But the process could be 15 years. And at the same time, I'm not saying that that's the only way that it is. There are times where it's like he'll speak something. I mean, I know for me, I have had some revelations where I I don't even, they're like, I don't even, like it's a practice, it's like a walking out of a devotional place because I don't even understand it. I don't even I, it, I don't even know how to be obedient to it because the word that he gave you just feel it and then you know so it's not like that's just all black and white that's the only way but that's one one way to look at it duty it to devotion.
1: How are you guys doing in general with just diving into Paul and just a contextual like an overall uh, teaching on rather than getting into like the the weeds and the debate I mean I know we've kind of gotten into a little bit but. Is that helping? Yeah. To me, this is like... I mean, every... every, I can't even read the Word now without seeing it completely different. Like, to me, this is just... I mean, we've been on this path for the better part of 10 years, but it's just getting to the point now to where I feel like I'm, I'm seeing the truth of the Word... With crystal clarity, whereas before it was, you know, it was good, right? It was yeah. good. Well, I feel like what we're going over is a lot like almost like a legend that helps you, like, understand its depth. So it's much
0: <coughs> weird, but, like, it's completely different now. Yeah. Just to understand, to understand the context of, like, it wasn't to
1: abolish. Like, if you, and, and, and like, it's written, you've read it. But just to understand or actually, like, internalize the concept. Literally, it's like a legend that changes as you read every part of it. So it's really, I don't know, to me it's fairly eye-opening.
0: It becomes more and more like not debatable in a sense like how different it is than what I had understood. Yeah,
1: totally.
2: I had no idea. I think it was, gosh, it must have been eight Years, I don't even remember how many years ago. One of the first times I ever preached was on was on was during Pentecost. That's like when I officially like woke up. It was like, it's real. There's that many days <laughs> and it happened before. Like I just remember being all crazy. And uh, but <clears throat> shortly after that I I really began to build a relationship with Paul because as you guys know in my testimony, I had to start with the gospels. Because I could not read the New Testament because all I heard was pastoral thumping and I just could not, like I could not pick up, I just could not do the New Testament at all. But I could do the Gospels. Then he began to build a relationship with me, with Paul. But I had no idea then that he was going to open up my eyes to the Paul about the Torah. It was all about women. Because obviously that was the biggest issue was I was like one of the, I mean he was still working. So I was like the main preacher and that was not... A thing, and so I remember really having to dive into what does he say and I remember when I first built that relationship it's just like this I cannot read it any other way once you know the commas and the question yeah. marks and his language and who he's talking to and who he's confronting and why he's repeating yeah. questions and what he's really
0: saying mm. and
2: it's the hardest thing because you can go on any internet platform and you can find just tons Women are not to be blah, blah. And it's just Paul, quote, Paul, quote, Paul, quote, Paul. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, so it's just it's, it's just it's a cool to know how misunderstood those were in just one aspect of what he was getting at, whether it was being quiet, whether it was men and women, whether it's marriage. I mean, he talks about all these things. So it's like he's taking us down to just such a deep place where when you see that untwisting it'll allow all those other things that we may have questions about, whether it be how to learn, how to submit, how to, what is Christ? What is marriage? You know what I mean? If you read it through the lens of a Torah breaker, You don't know anything about women. You don't know anything about being a man. You don't know anything about being a woman. You don't know anything about marriage. You don't know anything about raising kids. You don't know anything about how to submit. You don't know anything about pastors. You don't know anything about apostles. You know nothing. But now... Knowing him on such a deep level, I just think it's just going to open up so many things yeah. that we like this, What yeah. did the system? It, it, it's almost yeah. like it's the beginning of what did the system teach us yeah. even about marriage or the yeah. concept of, of of man and women and roles yeah. or or um, intimacy and all the things that, you know, that we can counsel forever about what ta- what system taught us those things. Yeah. So when we're wrestling and what are we wrestling yeah. unto? Yes, this part is hard. Now, granted, I could say that. I thought the women stuff was hard. I didn't know it was going to get deeper, so I'm hoping it's not any deeper. But I would think that this is the bedrock of his beginning, of what he believed, right, and who he was trained by, and what his destiny was, is actually going to unlock a whole yeah. new system. Which is why I'm excited about the day season when we start doing uh, uh, raising kids and finances and marriages, disciples from a whole new yeah, Hebraic yeah. system, yeah. not the system that we've been taught, and yeah. so it will wreck your mind when it comes time to everything and anything, yeah. <laughs> and it's good, um, yeah. and so just, you know, as an encouragement, I mean, I don't know if you guys get excited about that, but I do, you know, that there's yeah. just a whole thing that's going to get unlocked Yeah. about him and who he is and his character and what he says, so. Yeah
0: i think that like when you guys were talking about ananias and or hananiah like the whole aspect and dad you had kind of brought it up a little bit but sometimes i wonder if you guys can like see yourselves in these things that you guys are presenting to us because that's all i was literally hearing in Ananias or hananiah is that that's you and so i was like this is literally our life story this is mom and dad like they were But you know you guys are apostles, and you're sending, and then you you encounter us, and then you raise us up to send us, and then we're to do the same. Um, And then going into the house, producing more Talmudines, devout followers of the Torah, uh, like just so many different aspects. Biggest bridge connectors, like all of these different things, I just felt like I just saw correlations and it helps us know you guys better because now we're understanding more. I mean even out of Paul's like, understanding about like he was called and commissioned, not converted. It helps us kind of know you guys better because then we get to understand your guys' calling like, in a deeper level. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but mm-hmm. that's what I was kind of hearing the yeah. time you guys were
2: even talking about him, mm-hmm. your guys' story, and how like it's his name. Well, that's cool. It, was, it did make me think about that when you said commissioning. You know, because uh-huh. we just did Shavuot, commissioning, mm-hmm. you know, but to what, right? To commission to, yes, raise disciples, because we keep talking about what the great commission is,
0: but mm-hmm. then also
2: to... Be the be the biggest bridge gapper, bring the two houses. How to speak to both nations, right? And so that's what is so powerful to yeah. you know,
0: to think about. Thank you.
3: And just start circulating it around the room so that anyone who has um, something to physically offer up tonight can do that. And as we do what, I, what I'm walking away from tonight with is a heart's cry to continue to give Yahweh permission to disrupt it all. I wrote it in huge letters, circled it. <laughs> I mean just I mean just to um to um I feel like there is such a, um, I think I already said this on Boxer, but every time we hear more, every time we receive more truth, it should give us an even deeper, more full, I mean, it sh- it should fill up or stir up our hunger even more to uncover that counterfeit so that we can regard truth above all else. And it feels like the only way okay, we can say if we if we if, if you would say you're still a Christian then to me the way that you honor that is you honor the Messiah. Right? You follow Jesus. <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. So, if what's being uncovered more and more is that mm-hmm. Yeshua more of him. is truth, then wouldn't we want to follow or have more access to all of who he is and that truth, that ultimately what's being revealed is Torah, is more access. Right it's all it's all about access so when we're fighting tooth and nail or however it's been for each of us i know everyone's personal process and journey has been different but when we're wrestling through and you're holding on to what was good Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm the truth, yeah. and you're saying, no, you're good. And he's like, I'm the truth. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
3: Then are you really even a Christian? Like I just, I don't. Right. Come on. So, 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 can can you reconcile that? If there's, if there is a struggle in in any of us at this point in the wrestling when it comes to holding on to what's good. Can you even say anymore what's good? Right. And then and and then so this is the positioning we need to leave with tonight. So then if you're holding on to what's good, and he's saying, But in my truth, I will like there will be abundant all all this grace. Yes, yes, <laughs> then then ultimately you're going to see day, I feel like there's also a, a warning in, in tonight and in walking away tonight and an opportunity to wrestle through even that warning. Meaning if, you're, if your heart is to continue to hold on to what's good, then you will become lost. I mean, we're talking about if we've gotten this far with the heart to be that there's no more separation, not just here, but for the world, for the bride, then at this point, laying down that process and saying, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm good. I'm good. He's good. It's good. (laughs) Right? I mean, I'm saying it kind of like sarcastically, but that's the reality Mm -hmm. of our thought processes, especially when we're having to reconcile things at such a deep level because ultimately what we're being released into more of out of that spirit of intimacy is the wrestling then between good and true, right? So can we at least, when we leave, lay down good, bad? right Right? because then it already it just it just shuts down so much of the process and i feel like as a family we're mature enough and we're in a place we've walked out enough to where we can say good and true yeah Yeah. where before it might have felt like yeah but i don't know if that's my truth (laughs) you know (laughs) But even if it doesn't feel necessarily like your truth in the sense that you're wrestling, there's still an invitation if you hear it from the the concept of good and true versus good versus bad. Because good versus bad, you're already like, there's no invitation there. It's either good or it's bad, it's right or it's wrong. Right, right, yeah, yeah, that's good. You You know? So, I would say that as a family, we are characterized by and when we're when traded tonight, but also as we give and as we respond and when we respond with our process. I mean that is that that is such a heavy invitation that we we're we're being invited to respond with our lives to every truth that Yahweh presents, and on behalf of. Of others, I mean, so that's a whole other thing we could get into. That was a huge thing that I was personally walking away with tonight when we were talking about how that's an Old Testament paradigm of restoring a son back to the father's house. How many people have lost their lives? Talk about loss. When, you know, in, in Christianity, when we talk about like, oh, they're lost. Mm -hmm. But talk about loss that we wouldn't know a father well enough Mm -hmm. to know that when there is a curse or there is suffering Or there is pain Mm -hmm. or there is loss that he is inviting you into life and you cut him off Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you cut off the generation after you and the generation Mm -hmm. after that and the generation after that Mm -hmm. Because we don't know him enough to carry that truth on his behalf because it's not good right
2: Right, saying yeah. they're lost out there.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's entrusting us to respond. We've come this far, and he's entrusting us to literally flip that entire script.
0: Mhm. Yeah.
3: So that there's hope, even in, I mean, for me, that has been my heart's cry my whole life. How do we... Release your hope in the midst of suffering and brokenness. Mm-hmm. And how do we testify to your goodness mm-hmm. when everything is lost and nothing has measured up to who you are? We haven't measured up. How do we how do we testify to that? And we've missed this entire mm-hmm. paradigm. How much hope when that becomes our truth? Mm-hmm. But we actually have to offer the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it has to be wrestled out in us first. And it can't be if it's good versus bad.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: He won't even have a chance.
2: Yeah. This was just reminding me of when, if we go back in the middle of the night season, when we were allowed to release our story, Remember when I said the word that started it all was he takes life to give life. And it was the wrestling out through that hope and transformation that caused me to awaken that he is good in the midst of loss because he gives life. And seeing life in that is what's going to bring. That's what she's talking about is that bringing hope. But what will happen is, oh, miscarriage loss. That's bad. yeah, so that's then not. now there's no more invitation., yeah. that's not from him. Must yeah. have been a curse, need deliverance. that's Satan, because mm-hmm. Yahweh would never take. Mm-hmm. and then
0: yeah.
2: and then we cut it off. Yeah. Yeah. And then we just keep going down that road and then that's all we're focused on versus responding to the invitation of what does he have in that pain? What does he have in that loss Mm -hmm. to be able to bring life, to bring transformation is the hope that she's talking about. That's what's being wrestled out. That story or that personalization to all of this is the Mm -hmm. same. It's the same exact story. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what it is that we're carrying. And that's a powerful word for I mean, that is his word. I believe that that's his word, but that's a powerful wor- word for the world mm-hmm. um, yeah. to be able to have that kind of hope versus, you know, yeah. l- like you said, like saying, well, you're lost while well, we're lost, not receiving any hope because we're <laughs> ultimately in trauma and hurt and then they're lost. And then it's just, you mm-hmm. know, we're not necessarily spreading who he is yeah. in that. Yeah. And again, the only way that
3: we're going to keep walking through it is if we grant him that permission to
0: disrupt.
3: Yeah.
2: It's also was it's making me think of some foundational things that which we you know we know when we're training our kids that there are decisions that they can make that are good and then there are decisions that they make that are better yeah. and then there are decisions that are the best. And we've and what we're talking about what she's talking about to me what I hear is that we've settled for good and we hold on to good when he's saying yeah. but there's a better and there's yeah. a best yeah. that's a concept that's not foreign to us when we're raising our family right. you know I don't want my kids to do good I want them to be the best and it you know if that if that makes sense mm-hmm. so it's like there's that there's that yeah that um, that foundational teaching that that's what he's doing is it's an invitation into more or to more of versus, I mean, again, it depends on how you look at it because it is a loss, Mm -hmm. but not when you look at it through the perspective that loss brings gain Mm -hmm. or you lose your life to gain it. Then Mm -hmm. you're constantly saying that then that was good. This is good in my life. That loss, this is good because my perspective is something is better. Or what is best is coming versus only two options.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Airs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.